Essentially, we're triggered by the things that we least like about ourselves. So technically speaking, it's not that the other person is triggering you, that we should always exercise compassion and not bring up hurtful things to people, even in the heat of the moment, but it's that they have said something that triggered your own unhealed trauma. Welcome back everyone to Reconditioned with me, Lauren Vacneen, your one-stop shop for all things holistic health and growth. And today I wanted to dedicate an episode to triggers, why we get them, why we react to them, why we don't like them and shy away from them, and how to master them most importantly. If you ever get triggered by situations or people, which we all do, you'll want to hang around for this one. Okay, so triggers. I want to focus this on how triggers show up when we argue. So we can hopefully, as I like to call it, argue better. That doesn't mean that you want more arguments. It's the contrary completely. It means that you master the knowledge of exactly why we argue, master your emotions so you can see your part in it and get less triggered and argue less. So let's start with what it means to get triggered in the first place in terms of what actually happens to us. So you can recognize it in yourself and then we'll talk about what a trigger is. So being triggered has become a bit of an overused word and you know I'm sure you've heard people using it just to tell you that they're really annoyed or pissed off about something. That's so triggering for me. You know it's one of those that people have kind of adopted it as this a term for the new age. But actually being triggered is when a situation occurs that elicits an emotional response from us. So you might feel anger, fear, or anxiety, or sadness, or numbness, or that just that feeling of being out of control. So you'll notice you're triggered by how you behave that is not necessarily how you'd usually behave. So you might be more argumentative, or you could go the other way completely and shut down emotionally or become physically aggressive. So what actually is a trigger? Let's look at that in a psychological term. So psychologically speaking, if we're talking about what a trigger actually is, as opposed to something that just annoys us, a trigger is simply a reflection of your own unhealed trauma. I'll say that again. A trigger is a reflection of our own unhealed trauma. And I'm hoping that if you listen to this podcast enough, if you are, you have been a listener for long enough, you'll be aware of this terminology that here in this podcast, in my work, trauma doesn't have to mean abuse or, you know, the situations that society labels as trauma. And it could mean that for you because that is trauma. So if you were in the army during a war, perhaps anything that sounds like gunshots or bombs would be a trigger for you. But we talk about it here also as the little T traumas which is what I wanna focus on today because anything related to extreme trauma would usually count as PTSD if it causes a trigger. And in most cases would need deeper work than obviously being able to master it by listening to a podcast or with a coach. So I'm doing this to hopefully help you in general life, master your emotions a bit better. And we do that by acknowledging and recognizing all our little T traumas. So all the situations in our lives that have caused us to operate out of fear-based thinking and subsequently move away from our authentic selves, uh, which I talk about a lot and we'll get onto that soon. 
So for example, if you're having an argument with your partner and he starts mocking you, so just to, to preface here also, if I say he or she, this isn't just in relation to me assuming that you're a woman listening to this or a man or like where, whatever you identify with and whatever your partner is. I'm just using this terminology, this binary terminology, just because it makes it easier for me just to say it. So applies to everyone in all sorts of relationships. So if you're having an argument with your partner and he starts mocking your vocabulary, if a word you said wasn't in the right context, and he does that as a defense mechanism, like to win the fight, if you spent your childhood being dyslexic and you were made to feel unsmart, this would be a trigger. This would really trigger you. Or if you've always had body image challenges and someone calls you fat, this would trigger you. Or if you've been single for a long time and all your friends are in relationships, Maybe one of your married friends in a disagreement would say, no wonder you're single. Those few words would cut like a freaking knife. That's a trigger. Essentially, we're triggered by the things that we least like about ourselves. So technically speaking, it's not that the other person is triggering you, that we should always exercise compassion and not bring up hurtful things to people, even in the heat of the moment, but it's that they have said something that triggered your own unhealed trauma. So now let's look at this in relation to shadow. So for those who are new here, the shadow is the psychological term for all the things we can't or don't want to see about ourselves. And in this case, it's often the trauma we haven't resolved or looked at. So even if you have a great mum who you love, maybe due to her own conditioning, your whole childhood was spent with her showing you that an acceptable body image meant a size eight. And maybe you're not a size eight but you haven't gone back and done inner child work enough to have healed that trauma, the trauma of being told, even if, it, even if your mom never said to you, you need to be a size eight to be accepted. It's all the actions that you saw growing up. So did your mom look at models who were size eight and size 10 or whatever it may, might be and aspire to, to be like them through her dieting or just these kind of unsaid actions that showed you that this is what was acceptable. So if you haven't gone back and done the inner child work enough to have healed that trauma and rewritten that conditioning, anything to do with this would trigger you. It's a direct reflection of your shadow aspects. So I'll give a little example here. My family are really kind of say it all how it is kind of people, everything out on the table. And my husband's family are the opposite. So when I first came into his family, I was really judgmental of how quiet they all were and how they held back on like emotional talk at the dinner table. But then I realized that I needed to find a balance because saying everything how it is all the time isn't okay either. Some things really can go unsaid, especially if it's gonna hurt someone. Compassion first. But because I knew that my family were like this, if Daniel or anyone else would comment about a social media post I made that was too out there, because I really needed social media etiquette lessons 12 years ago, I would get really triggered because I knew it was coming from a place of judgment and I hadn't looked at that part of myself, my shadow enough yet. I knew it was true, right? So when something is true in you, but you don't want to accept that or look at it, that is shadow. And when we don't acknowledge it, we get triggered by those things that are brought up by other people. So when we understand how to work through shadow, which is the second module on the Recondition Your Life Academy, we understand ourselves so much better. We have to truly see the darker parts of us also, which we really tend not to do. 
We tend to recognize the things that we can consciously understand about ourselves, but then brush under the carpet the heavier stuff that's really hard to understand. And such a huge part of personal growth and development is recognizing this darker part of ourselves and integrating it with the other parts. And when I say such a huge part of growth, I mean it's maybe one of the biggest parts. You cannot get to a place of real emotional mastery and self-mastery until you see yourself, all of yourself, all those darker parts. So for example, some women on the academy recognize for the first time ever through doing shadow work that their childhood wasn't as peachy as they'd been raised to think, that their parents perhaps fed them with conditioning that created many difficulties in their lives. And it's not easy to recognize the darker side of our childhood or the people we we love might not have always been perfect because I'm talking about people in, you know, normal, everyday, loving households. I'm not talking about abuse here, right? These are our parents, people who have raised us the best they can, loving parents, but we're always being fed conditioning, not because our parents know that they're doing that. This is where healing comes from, recognizing how it was given to us and how we're acting out of that. And in recognizing that, even if it is hard to acknowledge that in the people we love, that is part of shadow. There's no growth without that. In order to be whole, we have to recognize these things that are really difficult to look at. We might love our parents and, you know, really be grateful to our parents for everything that they've done for us. But in order to grow, we have to look at what didn't serve us in our upbringing. And that can be challenging, but that is part of the work. And here's the thing with shadow. It almost always comes from a place of judgment. So when we acknowledge what it is that we judge in others, we get a bit closer to recognizing our shadow. So I have shadow around having illness and physical issues for so long that I never wanted to be seen as someone who always has something to complain about. This was a really massive thing for me because I always had something to complain about. As it, maybe I didn't always complain about it. Maybe I did, but there was always something going on. Something that I needed to fix, something that I was working on, something that needed me to go to an appointment and things that where everyone else was living their life, it was like just another thing. And in an argument with my husband recently, my husband told me to stop moaning. He was like, oh, for God's sake, it's just stop moaning. And it literally triggered the shit out of me because I'm really conscious about being judged for moaning. And here's another prime example of people getting triggered. And ironically, this example in itself might need a trigger warning. So it, because this is gonna be a bit triggering and it's really hard and challenging to come to a place of understanding this unless you're coming from a place of growth yourself. So be warned, be open uh, and prepared, I suppose, to open your mind to something that might seem uncomfortable for you. I'm so excited to be working with Block Blue Light again. You guys know I talk about their blue light blocking glasses a lot, but I actually have new reason to talk to you about them now. So a lot of you know we're renovating our new house at the moment and we have decided to go ahead and kit out 
our entire house with anti-blue light bulbs. Because of how damaging modern lighting is to our health and our sleep, we wanted to change everything modern houses usually have that we never question, but that are actually really detrimental to health. So in this case, things like not having dimmers because they release such high EMFs, electromagnetic frequencies, or not having LED or fluorescent lighting anywhere, which seems crazy to everyone because that's just what we're used to. We wanted lights without damaging blue light, but in rooms like the kitchen, I really wanted to make sure I still had enough light, especially living in the UK where it gets dark at 4pm in the winter. And this was a little bit of a concern of mine because I still really want the house to be fully functional for modern living. But the Block Blue Light team created the world's first biologically friendly day to night full spectrum light bulb and that's a lighting technology that really closely replicates the same visual color spectrum as visible natural light from the sun and this sort of exposure to full spectrum light will increase energy throughout the day and uplifts our mood and increases overall well-being and of course these lights are super low emf and low emf is something i've become hyper aware of in recent years and something we're really trying to focus on with this house so for rooms where we don't need lights that are as bright, we've opted for their amber light and taken their advice on things like having floor and table lamps. So after dusk, we'd only have lights at eye height because our ancestors would have only had firelight after dusk, right? And no overhead lighting. And we know that when we mimic our natural states as much as possible, our health thrives. And we wanted to make sure we did this with our new home in every way we could. So they also created the first ever blue light free reading lamp that attaches to your book and it has three brightness settings but no blue light whatsoever so it won't damage my sleep in any way which is life changing for me because I read in bed every night. Now this is the third season reconditioned have teamed up with Block Blue Light because we all know that healthy eating is essential and all of that great stuff but not enough people know of how important reducing our exposure to sharing this message. Sleep optimization is key to health and these products really maximize that. So you can go ahead and use the code LV20 at checkout on blockbluelight.co.uk for 20% discount across the entire range. Thank you so much to Block Blue Light. So anyone who follows me on social media will know that the majority of what I post about is information about keeping healthy and preventing illness and the lack of support for true root cause healing from the medical model that I feel causes more chronic disease than it cures. And other than in emergency care, which obviously I'm always grateful for, it offers nothing more than a band-aid approach. And I'm always trying to encourage people to take responsibility for their own well-being and use a preventative approach instead of waiting for something to go wrong and then relying on the medical model, which is only going to feed more dis-ease. So a few years ago, someone I knew was going through cancer. And she was someone on my Facebook who I'd known for years, um, you know, known her from years ago, but she wasn't actually a friend, someone I'd call a friend. And I posted about how the cancer research initiative of sending around a pink heart to every woman you know, a messenger to, you know, help raise awareness into breast cancer, did nothing at all to raise awareness into breast cancer. And now I feel really passionate about this subject that cancer research and other related charities don't actually do anything to help people prevent cancer. That is the cure, guys. Prevention. 
When we're looking for these charities to find a cure, that is the cure. So promoting coffee mornings to raise money where people will be drinking processed caffeine and eating sugary cakes, all the things that contribute to the growth of cancer cells, and getting people to share a pink heart, these things don't prevent cancer. So I asked on my post if the people who had spent time sending me and everyone else they knew this heart had spent time checking their breasts that morning or going one step further into preventative by buying natural aluminium-free deodorants because we know that the ingredients in these aluminium-filled deodorants and the antiperspirants that actually block toxins back into the lymph nodes when they should be detoxifying are what cause more cancer. You know, had cancer research put that on their website that day? Or had these people reduced sugar or artificial sweeteners in diet drinks? Or a whole range of other stuff that I do daily in an attempt to prevent cancer. So my initiative would be not sending a heart around, but sending people a message saying, hey, just a little accountability check, friend. Have you swapped your deodorant today for an aluminium-free, toxin-free one? Or have you cut down on sugar or artificial sweeteners? That for me would be cancer awareness. So I asked how the heart emoji would help and why they weren't promoting prevention. When I say I asked, this was part of the post I made about all these hearts that were being sent around. Like, why do we need breast cancer awareness? Aren't we all pretty damn aware enough that breast cancer is extremely prevalent, more so than ever? So what will more awareness do and how will that help more than putting actions in place if we're not actually doing anything to raise awareness and how to prevent it. Surely that should be the awareness. And I feel so passionate about this, about helping people prevent this illness. But when I posted about that, the girl who had cancer posted how angry she was, how offensive I am. When cancer research are doing all they can to find a cure so that people like me no longer have to suffer. Now what I'm gonna say right now in itself might be triggering but stick with me <laughs> and know that no growth comes from a place of comfort. And also that I have compassion and understanding for where everyone is. None of my comment comments come from a place of judgment, but from a place of wanting to help people reach a level of growth that will help them to be healthier and happier. And to get us to a place in the world where we are preventing cancer, because there's a reason that there's so much of it. My purpose in life is really to, to stop this, to create a healthier world with healthier humans, healthier women. This reaction from this lady was made from a place of victim consciousness. A mentality of abundance consciousness, despite having cancer herself, would agree that we need to do all we can. And thank you, Lauren, for helping other women to prevent this. But it focused on her lack on her scarcity, on the victimness of what was happening to her. No awareness of the deep growth and healing available to her in this current state. Other people agreed with her and bolstered her victim consciousness by making her believe that she was right and people like me are evil for not lying back and say, saying, you know, I'm so sorry you've got, and I am sorry she's got cancer, but not lying back and just saying that, offering her no 
actual tangible ways forward, but just saying, you know, I'm so sorry you've got cancer. Let's all run across a park wearing pink t-shirts to raise money for an organization who have never once tried to teach women how to prevent cancer. And at the end of the day, let's all have a Diet Coke and some cake to celebrate. That is not where my consciousness lies. Now, if she'd come to me, I'd have put her in touch with a team of incredible people who would help her heal from the root cause. That would be abundance consciousness. But there was another woman I know who had breast cancer at the very same time, whose mum had also died from it, and she agreed with me publicly on the post. So the difference between the two, this woman had spent years doing inner work and she was aware that any dis-ease in the body is the body expressing itself in something that is out of balance. Now the point here is that the first woman reacted based off of being triggered, based off of the trauma she was experiencing. And here we get to the very root of it and even the more triggering part. Why was she triggered by my comment? Not because she had cancer, but perhaps because all of us wonder when we get sick if we could have done anything to prevent it ourselves. And we don't want to be faced with that question. So my post triggered the recognition of a traumatic thought or memory that she hadn't yet faced herself through inner work. Okay, so there's the triggering part. How do you feel about that? If that triggered you, write about it in your journal. See why it triggered you. Feel free to send me a message on that. Let's talk about it. Okay, so now we understand what makes us triggered and how it is a response to trauma. Let's talk about why and how these emotions work in this instance. So when we're in an argument or a disagreement, we're usually faced with the survival emotions. We're not usually dripping with oxytocin when we're fighting with someone. When we're fighting we experience the survival emotions. And the main ones of those are fear, anger, shame, disgust, and sadness. Now, when we experience these emotions, we release cortisol, the stress hormone. And cortisol really biases our decision-making. And that's also for very valid evolutionary purposes that were valid 20,000 years ago, but don't serve us in any way now. So I learned this from neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swartz's book, the source, that for the very reason that our brains are wired to survive more than anything else, we are twice as likely to avoid loss as we are to gain a reward. Because avoiding loss is a survival technique. And even though we have evolved in many ways since our hunter-gatherer days, the reptilian brain, that old part of our brain that preceded the neocortex, that's what takes over when we have any sort of stress. Exactly because that's how we survived when we did live on the land and hunted live animals for food. And when the reptilian brain takes over, it's concerned with nothing more than survival. So the decisions we make will be based on that overarching premise. So the amygdala is the part of the brain where emotions come from. And the hippocampus is where the memories are stored. And it's really important in self-growth that we understand how the brain works. Because when we understand how it works, we can understand how to heal. So when we're in survival mode, these two parts of the brain, the amygdala and the hippocampus, they work together to dredge up the memories associated with what you're experiencing now to give you your worst case scenarios. Again, in an attempt to keep you safe. 
So if your friend just mentioned about you being single in an argument, your brain will remind you of just how awful it is to be single when all your friends are in relationships. It will heighten the emotion you have around being single to keep you safe. And FYI, this is an example and not my view because this is not what I think about being single at all. So when we're in that heightened brainwave state, we're telling the brain we need resources to survive. So it gives us those resources. It fires through more cortisol, more adrenaline, boom, 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 firing that through all throughout our bodies, which keeps these emotions heightened even more. But in order to stop that cortisol from being released so that our decision-making and the things we say in an argument aren't dictated by those hormones, we need to break the cycle and start releasing oxytocin, which will help us experience love and trust and all the positive emotions because we're operating from this state that is making us say horrible things. It's making us not see the, others, the other person's point of view and making us literally close to any alternative not because we're right, but for the very reason that the brain is trying to protect us. So it isn't allowing us to see all that other stuff. So here's what it comes down to. How do we end that cycle? Well, it's actually very simple. We end that cycle by breathing. Breath work enables us to come down from that beta brainwave state to the alpha state that will enable us access back to the neocortex and back to more collected ways of behaving that reduce cortisol and adrenaline. So from this state, we can make better decisions. We only need to take a few minutes to breathe before the way to resolve this becomes a lot clearer because biologically speaking, you've reduced cortisol and adrenaline. So you're no longer operating from survival mode. You're now releasing oxytocin and that will help you calm down and find reason. Because those parts of the brain that were in survival mode, trying to give you all the worst case scenarios are not firing through all those worst case scenarios now, right? So doesn't this make so much sense? So if you can remember that, you'll always be able to manage arguments without taking it, without it taking hours or days, which is what used to happen to me. Now, my husband and I do this ourselves. We do a 10 minute Wim Hof guided breathing. If we're arguing, then we start the talk again. Now, don't get me wrong, it's really, really not easy when I want to spout out all the reasons he's wrong and the last thing I want to do is sit down with him to breathe. It really isn't easy because in that state, I think I'm right and I'm just pissed off and I just want to shout all the things that he's doing wrong and I just don't want to sit next to him like nothing's happened and breathe. But my higher self knows that it's needed. And then after those 10 minutes, we're usually then able to see the other person's point of view more easily. Which brings me to my next point. And there's a reason we actually get to this point in an argument once we're triggered. And that's because we don't have a direct link with objective reality. Each of us approaches the outer world through the prism of an inner world with a more or less tenuous connection to it. So we see the world based on our own worldview. And I can't stress the importance of understanding this enough. If you understand and fully recognize that your response to your partner or whoever it is in a disagreement or your dismay and downright shock that you both have such divergent views of the absolute same situation isn't always that you're right, 
It's that his reaction is based off of his perception, which is based off of his conditioning, his conditioning that shapes his worldview. And the same for you. In his mind, he has a really valid point. And if you can contort your brain enough to release your own worldview that shapes your point in this disagreement, and imagine yourself entering the other person's brain and how their point might be extremely valid and pertinent in their own brain and how therefore what you're saying is hurtful to them, you'll find yourself more and more equipped to manage disagreements like a freaking emotional intelligence pro. However hard it may be to bring yourself back to this place of mutual understanding, remember that is the work of an optimized brain. A person with emotional intelligence at a highly mature level could do this. And though we might not all be there now, we can absolutely continue to try with every disagreement we have to get there. Whew. Okay, so that's most of what I have to say about triggers in a nutshell. Um, of course, it goes way deeper and we do a lot of deep work on shadow and inner child in the Recondition Your Life Academy, which helps us to understand and master our triggers. So feel free, if you want to learn more about that, to go to laurenvacneencoaching.com and click the Academy page for info on how to enroll for the next semester, uh, which if you're listening to this in real time is happening in April, 2022. And in the meantime, thank you for being here. You know, I love you guys. I'm so grateful to you all for listening. And if you enjoyed this, please take a quick second to rate the podcast. You can do it on Spotify now. It doesn't have to be just Apple. It's super easy. You just click the five stars. Uh, yeah, please don't click one. Click five, okay? Thanks. So thank you so much, guys, for spending your time working on your growth today. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. And thank you also for taking responsibility for your well-being by listening to podcasts like this. It's something I really appreciate. And before you go, I just wanted to remind you to check out the Recondition Your Life Academy at laurenvacneencoaching.com. It's a 12-week course that I run three times a year for small tribes of like-minded women. If you love anything you're hearing here on the podcast, this course will serve you so deeply. Everything from inner child healing, divine feminine healing and health optimization to how to find your purpose and how to find or cultivate conscious relationships and so much more. Check out all the testimonials on the website from some very happy previous Academy members. The growth and healing available in this course really is unique. Just head over to the website and make sure to get your name on the waiting list for when we launch the next semester. Sending so much love your way.